This is a Federal News Network podcast. Increasing collaboration among federal employees and expanding benefits are a couple of the top priorities for the advocacy group Federally Employed Women, or FEW. But the newly elected president of the organization says along with those initiatives, closing the generational gap in the federal workforce is another goal high on her to-do list. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman sat down with FEW President Pamela Richards to discuss the details of her plans for the organization in her new leadership position. One of my main goals is bringing those five generations together so that we can pass the mantle on. I'm a mid-level career manager. At some point in in my career, I'm going to look toward retirement. uh, And I won't be able to be in this place because my focus will shift to, you know, looking at other ventures that may come with retirement or doing other things. But I want to be able to bring in our millennial generations and any other generations thereafter because they are currently our future workforce as well as our future for tomorrow. So I wanna be able to provide professional leadership development training that will not only prepare those that are currently sitting in the role, but to prepare our millennials to take the mantle and run with it and continue to work toward the mission and vision of federally employed women. And that is to end sex and gender discrimination within the workplace and working toward the advancement of women. So many uh, organizations now are moving toward the DE&I space and moving toward more inclusivity where everyone has a seat at the table. And I wanna be able to ensure that women of all races uh, have a seat at the table. Not only do we have a seat, but the only tables that we sit at, that we are getting paid the same as our male counterparts for the same jobs that we do. To also look at those things that normally was what affected people three years ago, it's not affecting people right now because we're in this pandemic posture. We're talking about the future of work. What is it going to look like? Because there are some things that we have to now consider that we didn't consider pre-pandemic, that we have to now consider post-pandemic. And something that you mentioned a little bit earlier on was also the fact that federal agencies, a lot of them are putting out diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility strategic plans and their own like internal plans for increasing DEIA within an agency. And I want to know what what do you see as the connection between those plans and what FEW is, is doing here with their trainings and their own advocacy here? One of our four focus areas is compliance. And in compliance, this is where we work alongside those agencies with their strategic plan and with our uh, uh, second component of diversity. And we work with agencies along uh, with their strategic plan as well. And so we uh, encourage all of our chapter presidents and any few member to get on those councils that are at your agency to provide feedback and be a voice for federally employed women. We uh, work uh, with uh, federal closely close relationships with OPM, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, sorry, the Merit Systems Protection Board and the Department of Labor to ensure that conformance to all existing laws and executive orders that impact federal federal employees' lives. Few believes that it is the right that of all employees to protect the cornerstones to equity and wages, health benefits, retirement security, employment rights, as well as wellness and health and safety in the American war- workforce, including minority groups. So we sit down and discuss that MD-715. We, we make sure that we train our chapter presidents in what to look for and what to have, those type of conversations to have with the management on certain areas in that. 
For example, if there's a particular area that's underrepresented in the Hispanic Latino X community in a specific job, we can recommend here at this college, this college has a program that is centered around this specific job occupation. How about reaching out to this college to uh, talk to women as they're getting ready to come out of the uh, universities they graduate to look at having job fairs and providing that opportunity for them to speak to them and recruit from college. We hold meetings with um, OPM and EOC to identify common goals and strengthen the partnerships between our organizations. You also have a newly elected board for the organization. So what do you see as the relationship between the work that you're doing and how you're going to be collaborating with the different new members of the board just moving forward? We have meetings four times a year to come together, to come up with the best plan that we can for our members. Each board member brings a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of skill sets. Not any of them are alike or the same. And I personally built relationships with each and every one of them. Some of them I've known from when I was a DC Metro regional manager. And there are some others that are across the footprint of few. As we uh, continue to learn each other and work together, at the end of the day, our common goal is Fuse mission and vision. And that is to continue to advance women in government, continue to be that grassroots organization, that advocacy for women's rights. Because I have VPs over our four focus areas, which is compliance, diversity, training, and legislative. And then I have special assistants that take in specific areas that, such as our health and wellness, such as our mentoring program, how big exactly is FUSE membership, and is that something that you're looking to expand? We're sitting around about 2,700 members at this time, but um, one of the things that we will be talking about at our upcoming board meeting is extending that membership to our college students uh, to get uh, a discounted rate for them because our juniors and seniors that are wanting to come into the federal government, this will be a great opportunity for them to have access to uh, learning about resume, but also to, you know, offer discount rates for them to come to our training program, to be able to find, uh, provide a, um, a track for them to help them build and have something to build on. Looking to uh, that, that initiative is called Few College Connect, where we will have that um, discounted membership. And also connecting with other, eight other uh, affinity groups, collaborating with them and having different events with them to expand our membership as well, and also collaborate with other uh, employee resource groups and affinity work groups and looking at other ways and how we can grow our membership. So hopefully through those types of initiatives, we can expand our footprint. Just to kind of wrap up, is there anything else that's really, that you're really going to be prioritizing over the next couple of months? Anything that you feel like you've missed in, in this discussion? Working on our national training program, because this will be our first in-person event, hopefully, since the last three years, because we had virtual leadership summits. So we're trying to come out with a bang, with a big training event for our members and non-members, because we do have a lot of non-members that come as well. So we're getting prepared to welcome everybody back onto that face-to-face learning environment. And I'm excited about what FU is about to do and about leveling up for success to continue the legacy of this great organization that is carried on for another 50 years and another 50 years beyond that. So we're, we're building that legacy, getting that foundation firm so that, you know, the uh, next generation can pick up and take off and we've laid that foundation on them and all they have to do is build from there.
That's Pamela Richards, president of the group Federally Employed Women, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. After an exemplary career as a former executive at the FBI, focused on policy and strategy, Sasha O'Connell, Ph.D., is guiding future federal leaders as the executive in residence in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Sasha joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss her exciting career, the future of the federal workforce, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Sasha O'Connell. Sasha is an executive in residence in the Department of Justice, Law, and Criminology at the School of Public Affairs at American University and spent the majority of her career at the FBI and most recently as the organization's chief policy advisor, science and technology, and the section chief of office and policy for the FBI's deputy director. Sasha, welcome. Jane, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you give us an example of someone early in your career that motivated you? And then, and, and how did, what did that look like? Sure, absolutely. So it sounds almost cliche, but it was the dining room table. So I grew up um, with a stepfather who spent 30 years at the Veterans Administration at the VA. And he talked at the dinner table. He started as a social worker and then sort of rose up into management, administration, and leadership. And his stories, right, and his approach really, really impacted me. My mom, interestingly, ended up in a career in public service. She was a prosecutor. She's currently a retired state superior court judge. Um, But she had a big career change also in her 40s. She went back to law school in her 40s. So getting all of that in the mix at a young age at the dinner table really, really impacted me um, in really specific ways. Yeah, that's amazing. My my father was part of um, the generation that took... Um, President Kennedy's call to action. And he took that to heart, and he went and worked at the Department of Interior and a number of other places in federal service. So it's, it's catching when, when you're around it. You've held a number of leadership roles at the FBI, which is historically a male-dominated organization. What skills or traits helped you most as you navigated that? Yeah, it's such a, it's an interesting and challenging yeah. <laughs> sort of situation and question. One I don't think I still am reflecting on it. I've been out of the FBI about six years, and I'm sort of still thinking about it. I think the bottom line was when I was there, and I really grew up there, um, I, didn't, I didn't know any different. I grew up with male cousins and brothers, and you know, it was sort of a continuation of, of my existence. So it did, you know, in retrospect, it, it was a really unique situation, but it didn't necessarily feel that way for me at the time. I think staying mission-focused, staying not about me, staying flexible in terms of problem-solving all helped me. I will say there's resources today that weren't there when I was there, or certainly when I was starting out. There's a lot of affinity groups for women in national security, women in federal law enforcement. And I will say I think I would have really benefited from access to those kind of resources as I was coming up. Um, I had both incredible mentors, men and women, um, women across the organization who I became very close with, who were incredible supports, not just getting the job and starting out, but sort of matriculating through. But again, I'm really sort of proud of and involved in some of the work of those external organizations that bring women across government, um, executive women in government, and those kind of organizations together, because I think it is really, really helpful um, as one moves through. Yeah, we, we actually work with a, a number of those, too, and, and go to their events and conferences and support them because it's important. How has your leadership style 
developed or changed over the years? Well, I think I've gotten a little more confident in it, right? The seeds were there at that dining room table. One thing um, that carried through that I learned from my stepdad was to focus on the process. He would talk at dinner about big ideas or big changes and how to get from here to there was part of his day job. So he thought about explicitly was getting other people on board, getting that stakeholder engagement, getting other people to think it was their idea if that was required. And that's something I started out with as a gift, right, that kind of approach. And then I got confidence in that, and then I added things. I will say, as I moved on, my appreciation for taking care of is maybe the wrong word, but really focusing on the people who work with you and for you in some instances, um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour, and you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a, a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations or on, the, on the metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, and so I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, gaining confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues. And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission-focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you. Well, I wish, I wish, and it was, it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, one thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near-term problems. I always say sort of deliver short, and then you can push them long, right? So we've, we don't always succeed in those long-term goals or those, you know, sort of blue-sky ideas as leaders we want to achieve, um, but we deliver on those short-term pieces, right? And you get that buy-in from the stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals. Um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense. Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started? Yeah, it's, it's interesting today, too, working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my, essentially, my younger self um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really, it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. And I think it's the same here. In some ways, in my career, I had to learn to tone it down, right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that back seat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table. And that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships, and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave. And we left the meeting, and we were walking back to the office, and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now, now I have to go back and fix this. And I re realized, so well, sometimes you have to tone it down. Sometimes you have to tone it up. And that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all.
Right. I, I totally agree and understand that. It isn't one size fits all. And a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers, sayings, and I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent, and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation, or helping to train them, federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs. How, how do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service? You know, I'm so lucky at AU. We, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right? Just even getting educated, these pieces. So, so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks who haven't even thought about these careers as careers. I had a conversation with a young woman the other day, and she was talking about law school. It's, I'm, I'm fully supportive of law school. And I said, have you ever thought about a career in, in federal service? And she said, uh, isn't that for old people? I said, uh, <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, I mean, there's an education to do, right? Clearly, she's never seen the softball leagues, you know, down in the mall or kickball or any of the fun we all have in town where we certainly did when we were younger. But I, I really try, again, podcasts like this and other venues to put myself out there and really talk about what it's like, the opportunities I had at the FBI to be in the middle of the mission space and to explain that the federal government needs all kinds of skills, right? And diversity of thought, right, and diversity of people. So so there's that sort of working with the group that's primed for us, and we need to help them get over those barriers, get in and then stay, and stay um, engaged and passionate. And then there's reaching those new audiences. And there's a lot of work both places, but it's a lot of fun to work with young folks who are passionate about it. So I'm really lucky in my current job. And career civil service is a great path if somebody wants to take it. Our board is 100% SES-level career civil servants. They are all dedicated. They have a real passion for what they're doing. They could go work anywhere, but they choose federal service. And there's no place, I always tell young folks who ask me about it, there's no place you're going to get the level of responsibility quickly as you do in federal service, right? And, and yes, yeah, sometimes things move slow. It's supposed to move slow, right? We talk about the reasons for that, too. But there's, there's really no other industry, maybe some startups you might get this experience, but really where you can be in the middle of mission space, whether you're passionate about the environment or national security or health care, you know, public health, and you're going to get in there quickly, um, and you're going to get in the mix and get exposure, experience, and opportunity for impact that's really unlike any other career. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sasha, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Shane Canfield, and this has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. Talk to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply.